Fuel, the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry. Fuel is bringing you the latest in proven strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Fuel Podcast. I'm here with Chris Austin. Thank you so much for joining us, brother. Thank you so much, Alex. Appreciate you having me on this morning or this afternoon. Yeah, brother. We're going to have a whole lot of fun from what I hear, you know, you got a little bit of a background, 20 years of experience in the business, huh? Yeah, I've uh, actually, I started working with Strategic Source back in my college days. So I went to the University of Minnesota. Uh, we're based out of uh, Bloomington, Minnesota. I went to school at the University of Minnesota. While I was there, uh, I began working uh, for Strategic Source, was introduced by uh, our founder, my father, uh, who started the company about 25 years ago. He came from a uh, Northwest Airlines. So they were acquired by Delta years ago, but uh, he had a purchasing background and really developed strategic source, really saw that gap in the uh, in the industry and a need for uh, purchasing for businesses and industries that don't have a, a formal purchase team, team set up. So I started working, I want to say my sophomore or junior year of college, really on the assessment side and working on clients' classification of their what we call their spend reports so i began coding those part-time in college and uh and really developed uh moved into other uh, parts of the company uh you know over the over the last 20 years so it's been yeah been a great experience uh, a lot of challenges we've seen but really been a fun to be part of especially in the auto space that's majority of the clients we've worked with but uh yeah it's really been uh gratifying and and a, a great learning curve for me. That sounds awesome. So you graduated in University of Minnesota and I, you said in communications, right? Communications, yep. So what led you down that path? I mean, you know, I, I see you, you you know, you're kind of an outdoors guy, you know, your dad has a, a military background as being a, a veteran found company, right? Since 1992. Um, right. What kind of led you into rolling into communications and then ultimately rolling into the strategic source and, and to be honest with you, and I keep adding layers onto this, but into the automotive industry, so to speak. Yeah, good question. So we, so how I got into the communications really initially I wanted, I was really into sports growing up, football, uh, basketball, baseball, and eventually got into golf. And I wanted to do something with sports. I messed up my knee in high school and that ended my uh, football career plan to play in college or, you know, do some punting in college if I could. It was a decent punter at the time, but never panned out. But I wanted to do something with sports. So initially, I was thinking broadcasting when I was in college. So that's why I was going to the communications route or broadcasting route. And, uh, and then eventually just realized that I just wanted to finish my degree, you know, get, finish the degree up. I was I had a lot of blue collar jobs in college. Uh, I also worked at Northwest Airlines, handling bags, throwing bags, uh, you know, guiding the planes and with the wands. That was one of my jobs. People think that's pretty cool. And I tell them that. But, Absolutely. You were yeah. one of the wand guys. I would always, yeah. I was always wanting to be one of those one guys just to, just to mess with people with signals and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I remember one time I, you know, because you're, you're supposed to land the planes on the certain X so it lands up to the bridge and everyone can get off in a timely manner. And I overshot it one time and the pilot wasn't too happy. Mechanic had to come out and, and back the plane up so that people could get off the plane. So it was it was fun. It was fun working outside, especially 
during the day. I usually worked uh, during the day and then went to school at night. Um, yeah, but found it out, you know, really didn't want to go to the communications or broadcasting route and just wanted more business experience. So kind of began working part-time with strategic source on the uh, kind of the spend analysis and coding side and understanding how companies are spending money. Mm -hmm. So I really got that background, really enjoyed it and really been uh, with strategic source ever since. It's really been a been a great experience. Uh, had the opportunity to get out and manage clients, get out and kind of travel the world, uh, you know, even internationally too. We had some uh, Canadian clients as well, but to be able to get out and get some experience in front of dealers and CFOs and, uh, you know, owners and general managers and so on, it was just a great, uh, great learning curve to be thrust right in and, and really meet some of the key decision makers that I'm working with today on a daily basis. No, that's fantastic. And I think this is a perfect time to have somebody like yourself on the podcast as we start to wind down 2023. I mean, I know working with Dynatron, one of our biggest things is is trying to get our clients to understand that we're 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 establishing a partnership, you know, not just a vendor, because vendors are easy to kind of cut at the end of the year when you look at your expenses. And so one of the things we've been dealing with is is really working with our clients and really discussing with our clients how we manage, you know, some of those expenses and how do we as Dynatron not become an expense for you? How do we make it part of your process that allows you to, to regain some of that stuff that you're looking for as far as expense, overcoming expenses and overcoming as you start to wind down the end of the year. So I think this is huge. I mean, in your experience, you know, as you've come on board and as you started to work with dealerships, what would you say is the biggest misconception or the biggest misstep from a dealer principal or an owner when they start to review expenses? So, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it is good timing. Right now, we're starting to put budgets and expense plans in place for next year and the following years. So it really is a great time to get to understand where you're at today, where you're spending money, how many vendors you have. A lot of what we're doing is looking at uh, minimizing the amount of vendors you're managing today. In some cases, for a single point dealership, we see upwards of 400 different vendors they're utilizing consistently. Wow! And that's and that's on average. So you, you think about all the time and money that goes into not only cutting a check but managing the supplier. You know, if you run out of shop supplies, oh, who do we go to? You know, we've seen some cases where you know a single point client was managing 19 different shop supply vendors. You know, 19? where they had yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was I was just going through a demo yesterday and. You know, they have one for their nuts and bolts, another for their wheel weights, another for their gloves. And it just becomes a lot to manage and a lot, you know, it's a lot of confusion for the management team. You know, when you're short on supplies, who do we go to? You know, yeah. who's the the hot supplier of the month? So a lot of it's just organizing and simplifying all that complex information, you know, that sits in the DMS system. So that's what we're trying to do is simplify the complex and put those plans in place for our clients. So as far as consolidating down vendors, right? Do you are you do you do any communication with the vendor yourself, or is that strictly between the client and the vendor themselves? Yeah, so what we do in most cases we are that in between, you know, our client and their supplier. So we are actually the ones going out and negotiating with them directly. Oh, wow. Really, okay. because that yeah, some of our clients have those special relationships, and we may work behind the scenes, provide them the you know, the benchmarking or business terms we recommend. But in most cases, we're the ones working directly with them because it's it's really a timely process. 
And it really takes a lot of expertise to understand and build your, what we call our last price paid. Here's what we're paying, you know, going back to the shop supply example, here's, here's what we're paying for the last three to four months, looking at invoices or usage reports and really developing that, uh, that last price paid or that quote that's going to be going out to competing suppliers. So that's really, the, you know, one of the biggest starting pieces is collecting that data and saying, here's our high usage items that we're ordering month over month, you know, consistently, and then and then getting the suppliers to provide their pricing and also their business terms. It's not always just about the the cheapest price is what we found. It's really looking at the total package, right? Oh, you absolutely. Know, uh, I mean, it's it's you always have to take into account quality, you know, and, and sometimes are you going to pay a little bit more for a little bit better service, uh, a little bit better quality of what you're doing? Absolutely. We always make an ongoing joke when I'm talking about pricing and, and people's mindset is I got to be competitive. I got to be competitive in the market where you're yeah. a multi-million dollar dealership and you're trying to compete with a mom and pop shop. And there's nothing wrong with mom and pop shops, but they don't have the overhead, but they also don't bring some of the value that we can bring with the new cars. You can go out and take a look at the parts department for accessories and things like that. The showroom, the waiting room, the concierge, I mean, the, uh, the consultants that you get to talk to and even, even the shuttling services. So there's all these great value things that they bring to you. And I always like to bring it back to like the, the restaurant analogy we talk about, you know, we, it's a really nice, I know you like steak and pizza. I do know that yeah. that was one of the things you sent me on the, on your profile was like one of your favorite foods is steak and pizza. So if you're going to go to a nice steak restaurant, right. And they, you know, you got burgers on the menu, but why would you ever order a burger? at a steak restaurant why wouldn't you right. just go to wendy's or mcdonald's or wherever and just get you a seven dollar burger or five dollar burger well it's different the quality of the stuff that you're getting the gourmet burger and that's what you're paying for so that's how you can kind of bring that value as a vendor in some cases but also as we start talking about pricing with our customers sounds right. like the kind of now do you do the assessment of the quality of what they're getting as well yeah. So just to give you an example um, of janitorial services, like that's, you know, most dealerships have either an external company that's coming in and cleaning their dealership, or they have a, a border, you know, a porter, a day porter that's, you know, part of the staff and is is cleaning on site throughout the day, depending on the size of the dealership. But, yeah. you know, any vendor can come in and cut costs by, you know, 30%, you know, just to save them money. But if they're not cleaning the dealership, up to the standards of where the dealership expects. Well, the savings really are, it, it's just really a, a sidebar. It's not as important as really the total package, looking at the quality of products or service levels that you're getting today. So yeah, we actually look at that. So we would look at, you know, if we were looking at local suppliers that we haven't recommended or work with, we would actually uh, do reference checks to make sure they have a good name in the community to make sure it's a good solution before we recommend or bring that on to our client. But we typically have maybe three to four solutions for our clients to consider for each expense as we go through. So they have some options to make. It's not just, hey, here's a take it or leave it mm -hmm. national supplier. In fact, we find about 70% of the time, our clients prefer to stay with the suppliers they have in place. And that's really due to you know a few reasons. It could be local. They, a lot of our clients like to stay local in the community mm -hmm. and support the local community in terms of the suppliers they're working with because some of those suppliers could be customers. They could mm -hmm. be getting their vans uh, serviced or truck parts or whatever it is. So we really try to get the homework 
talk to our clients before we begin any project. What's important to you in terms of a solution? You know, do you want that local presence? Are you looking for a national supplier? Are there any suppliers you've had issues with in the past that you don't want, you know, included so we don't waste their time and, and yours? So try to get that homework ahead of time from the decision makers at our clients so we can bring back a really a customized approach that any of the solutions can be implemented right away. That's really how we measure success is implementations and, and what our clients accept and what you're actually seeing applied to your bottom line. So that's fantastic that you, you incorporate. I like the one word you used the best was community. And I think that's something that is, is essentially being lost in the technological age. You know, everybody has the ability to, to find prices and move around, but I was in a podcast with another gentleman named David Long and he, he, we were talking about, you know, people, right. And communicating with people and understanding with people and, and that it, it, he's more, he's a GM, but he's in the people business. And that sounds like what you're bringing to this as well. It's yeah, you do all these, you know, spending planning, you do all this analysis, you know, um, looking at some of the stuff you do with, with the buyer and uh, with the supplier com uh, comparisons and getting in and talking to it. But I think what really hit home and I hope people really pick up on when they listen to this is it is about community and there are ties, you know, where people grew up or where they live at. And so bringing the community back into it, but then also making it, you know, the smart choice or something that's, that works for both parties, I think is, is almost priceless in what you do for your customers. That's outstanding. It is. And, you know, a rake we stepped on, you know, I would say when we first started out, you know, over uh, 25 years ago is we had a lot of what we call certified suppliers, right? Where we vet their mm -hmm. service levels, we vet their pricing, really the whole package. And we were really trying to push those to a lot of the clients we were working with at the time. And what we found is that, you know, we, you know, they may have had that relationship, that local relationship that was working well. Maybe the price was just off. Maybe they were just being gouged on price. So they made that change to a national supplier and they lost a lot of that relationship. They lost a lot of that uh, local presence that they preferred and they end up going back to the the local supplier. So what what we end up doing and what we end up focusing on, again, going back to that homework piece is understanding what their objectives are up front. And 70% of the time, seven out of 10 times, we end up just improving their pricing so we don't blow up their supplier base. We don't blow up that community presence that they have today because it is so important. I mean, that's who you're, all your advertising and marketing is, is typically going to is those uh you know, the, the people in the community that are, are supporting your business, they want to give back as well. So we want to make sure those suppliers are in great shape, but also that they're not gouging our clients on, on pricing. That's really our role is to step in between, show our expertise and really give our clients options so they can make an educated decision on the suppliers they're working with. See, and that's just, that's, that's really cool. I mean, that's just, that's, it's great that you're able to incorporate yourselves. And I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because we're talking about the suppliers and things like that. But one of the things you did mention is acquisitions, right? You help with acquisitions of new dealerships and things of that nature. Was that correct? Yeah. So, you know, what we've seen, especially large groups and, and, you know, we work with single points all the way up to a lot of the mega groups, uh, you know, across the country. Acquisitions are a big part right now. We're seeing a ton of our clients, uh, you know, acquire in a store at a time, two, five, you know, 10 plus. I mean, it, it's a big time for acquisitions. How that relates to our business, when we set up an agreement for a group, if it's a 10 store group and they and they eventually add on, a you know, a single point down the road, 
Mm-hmm. Well, we want to make sure that single point is piggybacking on all the agreements, uniforms, credit card processing, uh, office supplies, as an example. Make sure that that new store is also piggyback on the agreement that we set up for the other 10. So that's a big part in centralization, right? For groups that are decentralized, where they're making decisions at a store level, but they're trying to get to a, a central group approach. That's really where we come in and really simplify the complex. One agreement, one expiration date for all their stores, lock that rate in and then move on to the next expense category. That's why it's so important to uh, just really clarity. Where do we stand with each of our vendors today in terms of those expiration dates of contracts? So what what outside of the contracts, the vendors and things of that nature, do, do, what else would you say is a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say above and beyond, but a little bit more than the normal process and helping with the acquisitions of new stores? Uh, purchasing policies, something we're heavily involved in is, is training with our clients for for groups that are decentralized nice. and they're making those decisions at a store level, um, I would say it's uh, setting up purchasing policies and training. It, you know, I heard the term uh, fat and happy uh, a couple of weeks ago from a dealer who said times have been great. I mean, we heard this over and over again in the last two years is we were, we're not counting cash, we're weighing it. That's how great profits were for dealerships the past few years. Um, so as they're acquiring dealerships, uh, you know, and, and focusing on profitability expenses got pushed to the side and so they got fat and happy oh, really? expenses expenses rose right as as profitability rose as well what we're trying to do is flatline that lock in rates so as they're acquiring new dealerships a lot of what we're trying to do is train the staff uh, from a decentralized approach to get them to a centralized approach meaning you know what looking at their contracts look at how they're bringing on new suppliers uh, auditing suppliers as well, making sure that what you've agreed to uh, with the suppliers you're working with, that they're actually honoring that pricing as it's coming in on your invoice in each month. So a lot of it's it's training and getting management groups to think differently and do different than what they've been doing the last few years where, you know, sales forces have changed, right? You know, you didn't, uh, I've heard that from GMs and owners as well, is that we've, we're having to retrain our sales team to sell again because they haven't had to the last few years. It was inventory was so low, cars were being mm-hmm. sold before they hit the lot. So it's just getting back to policies and training and uh, making sure the management team is all on the same page because we know the recession's coming. Uh, we're, we're planning for that in terms of expenses with our clients right now, realizing that times have been great, um, but we're moving into a different area and we need to prepare for that now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a place where we can link up at, you know, as far as, you know, being in Dynatron and being as a coach with Dynatron is, is we talk about optimization, right? And as things start to fluctuate, you know, car count, how you know, how many opportunities you see and how do you have the opportunity to maximize and optimize your pricing structure? One of the things we talk about is perfect pricing, kind of like like what you do. You give them options, but then you also look at the assessment that makes the most sense to give them the most profitability. And in our case, we look at it also into the negative impact to the customer. What has the least amount of negative impact? Everybody can get fat and happy and just charge more and make more, but how do we do it strategically, you know, and how do we do it analytically to, to the sense where everybody can get it? Now, you said you do training, so I'm interested in this. As you started to meet more owners and dealer principals and stuff like that, how are you addressing training that level? And then trickling down 
you know, to, to the rest of his team? Do you, do you start with the owner or do we kind of start with the management team and then roll to the owner? What do you, what do you guys normally do in your training? Yeah, we typically, so, you know, in relation to training and working with dealerships and management teams, yeah, it really starts from the top. Like we're typically working with owners, GMs, dealers, uh, you know, CFOs, controllers to really understand what the culture is, what's important to them, um, how they make decisions today. Is that how you want to make decisions going forward, right? Is that is that how you want to attack your vendor base? Is that how you want to manage your contract? So it's really understanding how they operate today and then where they want to go. But you're right. It does start at the top. That's typically who we're working with. And then from there, we're really working with those different departments, fixed ops, uh, the, you know, the office staff, the finance team, maybe marketing and advertising if we're looking at those type of expenses. So really starts at the top for direction and understanding where they want to go. Uh, and then us, uh, you know, as our, our client services team working directly with our clients in those departments, that's where we're implementing the new practices. And, um, you know, like I, I did something for a, a group here locally. They have uh, about 33 locations and they had a supplier base of 211 non-OE auto parts suppliers they were using consistently. So, you know, most dealerships have you know, they have to go to their manufacturers to a certain percent of spend for their tires, their lubes, oil and whatnot. Yeah. So we were looking at non-OE auto parts. But what we did is we got all 33 parts managers in one room, gathered their criteria of who are, who are the top suppliers you guys would like to drill this list down to. Let's get it down to eight from 211. So we did. We got it down to the top eight suppliers. We actually brought those suppliers in to meet the parts managers give their pitch of what their value proposition is in terms of price, in terms of delivery to the dealership, if they could get that those parts there in a half hour or less, really going over the whole program. And what we did is we took that, that supplier base of 211 down to eight. So you have eight suppliers that 33 dealerships are consistently using uh, and really took a decentralized approach and centralized it. It really cut out a lot of waste from all the suppliers that were having to contact and having to scramble when they needed parts last minute and really took that list mm -hmm. down and, and really gave them competitive pricing and uh, and took a decentralized approach and really, really simplified it for them. So that's part of the training as well. It's it's really getting buy-in from those managers and departments. That's why we we did that interview with all the, uh, the parts managers to understand who do you guys like as a supplier? What are they providing to you in terms of service or quality of product or, you know, what does that look like? So then we can take that homework and, and uh, really set everything up and start simplifying that process. But uh, but that's probably one of the more extreme cases I've seen is, you know, a supply base of over 200 and take it down to 110. So it's fun to fun to see those success stories when they come into play. 200. Yeah. <laughs> Took the old shotgun approach and just turn it into a rifle. I hear you, man. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yep. 211. Throw a rock somewhere, guys. <laughs> but that's that's pretty common, though. That's just, and that's the fun part of what you guys do. But it's, it's pretty common. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was in the vendor business for a while selling chemicals, and it was, and it, it seemed like you kind of have the market, and you have really good relationships with my customers. So any like in your situation, uh, they they would you know we can find other options over here, but we really like our, our service level here. And it was just, it all of a sudden started to seem like the competition just started sprouting. Like somebody was dropping seeds and we're just seeing these things. We're seeing people that wouldn't, we'd never would thought would bring up stuff like Valvoline 
getting into the game and stuff like that. Or other manufacturers even talking about starting their own brands of stuff, you know, with the uh, the fluids and the and the uh, cleaners and things that we were doing at the time. So it it got really interesting because all these new people come into the market and everybody's the lowest price in the best game in town. So it really started to put a stress factor on what we, what we have to step up. If, if what's the main thing we can bring to the table? And that's the yep. level of service that we're able to provide. And those relationships, you know, you can call me and I'm there in 15 minutes or you can call this guy. He'll be there in three weeks. Yeah. I, I was just talking to a GM actually last night. And we were talking about service in particular. He said, I was just going through some examples of savings in different areas and, and what some of those goals are. And he really said, you know, it came down to, he said, hey, if, if I have an opportunity to save 20000 in this area, uh, you know, in, in my uh, janitorial supply spend, um, but it's a local supplier and you guys are, are you know, trying to move me to a national, I'd rather stay with that local. 20000 wasn't enough for him in terms of savings to get him to move to a different solution. So every group is a little different in terms of what's important to them and what that threshold is, again, for them to get to move if, if a supplier change is necessary. So that's why that homework piece is so important for us to get a good solution in place, really understand and get buy-in. We're, we're not successful unless we get buy-in from that management team. It's so important to get, uh, you know, what's important to them, the, the yeah. suppliers they prefer. Um, yeah, and and service level service level seems to be that the reoccurring theme and the reoccurring, uh, you know, pain point that so many dealerships, uh, you know, prefer over price. Well, so I've got I've got a question for you in your experience. So, how many times have you dealt with or asked that question, like maybe why you're using this vendor or what do you like about this vendor, and you've gotten that response of, well, that's just that's just who we've always used. That's what we've always done. We've just yeah. always used this person. Yeah, quite a bit. Quite a bit because I, you know, I typically I'm typically meeting with dealers up front and asking those qualifying questions in terms of how do you select your supplier base? What's important to you? Um, you know, I, I would say it, it really comes down to time, time and expertise. Who on the staff, uh, you know, has the time to consistently shop their vendors to build a, a quote and an RFQ? That's what it comes down to the most is you're right. Uh, this is who we've been comfortable with. We assume we're getting great price. But we don't know until we dig in. We hear that yeah. quite a bit. It's it, it's kind of the unknown. You have that, uh, you know, the notion out there that you, you feel like you're getting competitive pricing because of the relationships you've had long term. But in reality, you know, the truth is in what you're being charged. That's why the invoices really give us that that threshold of here's what your last price paid is. How does that stack up to to national pricing, regional pricing, and local? So you got to do those benchmarks. Those benchmarks are probably one of the most important pieces to understand what the truth is today in terms of what you're paying and what you should be paying. Yeah. I mean, it, it essentially kind of gives them a, a false sense of comfort of, of who, of who they're using and why they're using those people. And we hear it all the time at Dynatron, you know, why, why haven't you moved your alignment price, you know, in a year or two years or three years, or why haven't you done this? Or why have you made this adjustment here? You know, wh why not use a ma labor matrix? you know, and see the benefits of using that and how to use that. Well, we've just never done that here. We don't do that here. Or yeah. um, this is just kind of how we've always done it. So breaking down those barriers, I think, is the most, A, beneficial part for both sides as far as what you do and what we do. But I think also is the best connecting part as far as being a trainer or being um, a, a provider, a partner 
in what we're doing for our customers, you know, getting them to look at, I mean, opening their eyes and pulling it back. And like you said, kind of pulling the bandaid off pretty quickly in some cases, I think really strengthens a partnership. And that's what we're trying to exude over here at, at Dynatron is, is we're trying to get GMs and owners engaged. It's not just the service or the FOD people using the tool and using the technology. We, we want the whole dealership to get a part of this pie and, and to get involved in this and to get ingrained in the process to yep. really take them to the next step. And it sounds like that's something you guys have really started to tap into or really been tapping into for over what, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's been a learning curve too, to understand that buy-in process versus, Hey, we're, uh, we're the experts here, follow our direction. It's really us adapting to each culture and each dealership, because we do see those tendencies from group to group, but everyone operates a little different. Everyone has values in their businesses and their dealerships that, that differ from group to group. So for us to listen to the problems and challenges that they're facing today, and then put a solution, a custom solution together. We, we pride ourselves on not bringing cookie cutter recommendations back to the table that really aren't going to be a good fit just to get a project done. So that's why that that homework piece, that buy-in, working with the managers and, and understanding how they make decisions, uh, you know, what's important to them in terms of a solution. It's it's such a, it's really the key to, key to success for us in terms of our client services team and and uh, just making sure our clients are satisfied and, and seeing the value and seeing improved profitability. So what do you do when you don't get that buy-in though? Like when you hit that roadblock or when you hit that where they're, they're just not, they're really not wanting to make that change, even though seeing that benefit. And it's like, you know, if we can't get a little room here or a little bit of movement here, it's going to be really hard to make the gains overall. Like what is your overcoming process? I guess you could say of adversity in that aspect. Yeah, I would say, you know, it starts from the top. A lot of times we are, at least on the sales side, we're working with, you know, decision makers, owners and GMs and, you know, CFOs. And if they're on board and they communicate that to the rest of the team, our job is a lot easier. If we get an owner that, you know, signs an agreement with us, says, yeah, this is great, new shiny object, you guys are going to save me money, and then just passes it off to the <laughs> to the team, you know, the d- department heads, we've failed that way. You know, we really got to get by and it helps if we can get that owner involved in the process. We typically meet with our clients, you know, about once a month at a minimum and give them an update, really a state of the state of their expenses. Here's here are all the recommendations we have where we need decisions on so we can get these implemented. Any contracts they need to be aware of and, and audit. So if the owner is involved in that and the rest of the management team sees that owner's involvement and how serious they are about expenses and uh, you know, improving profitability, it's easy for that management team uh, to get on board as well because they see the value. They see it's it's the owner's money that's going out the door today. Um, so, you know, different priorities for different levels in the, in the dealership in terms of the titles. But where we've what we've done with some of those challenges in the past, if we get a CFO that's not on board, and we do see that because, you know, a number of CFOs may view expense management as one of their top priorities when in reality it's really just a side of their function and 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 their title and their role and what they're doing mm-hmm. uh but what we try to do is really make them the hero really you know instead of us getting that the accolades and the recognition for saving them it's really creating um you know kind of a win-win for the managers and and uh, you know the different departments we're working with we're trying to make them the hero that you know to look good so they can share our name you know within their 20 groups so we really, that's right. You know, 
getting that buy-in and developing that relationship with uh, with the different departments, specifically CFOs and controllers, where we're really viewed as that competition in some cases. But um, but yeah, just understanding what's important to them. You know, what are some of the challenges you're facing today? Where where don't you have enough time that we can come in and take some of that? Uh, that time off your plate, managing contracts and auditing and, and staying on top of, uh, you know, vendors and the relationships you have with the dealership. So it really is getting the buy-in and making sure they're a part of the, the process, not just us bringing recommendations and solutions, but listening to what their needs are and what some of their challenges are. So we can take some of that off their plate. They can focus on what they do best, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. No, I mean, it's it's so interesting because everything you're saying hits really at home, especially for anybody that works within Dynatron and especially in the client success division or in coaching, because that's exactly the message we're trying to get through to some of the service managers that immediately think that you're putting a, you're, you're putting a spotlight on me. You know, right. you're showing my faults or you're showing what I haven't been paying attention to, or you're you're shining light in an area that I haven't really put a lot of focus. And now it makes it look like I'm not proficient at what I do or good at what I do. And that's not the case at all. You know, no, it's just I'm opening up an opportunity for you to work on your business where you have been consistently working in it. You know, that's a good point. It's it really comes down to time and expertise it is why our clients don't have time to do what we do or do what you do. Um, you know, it, I was talking to a dealership a couple of months ago and they were debating bringing on, uh, you know, a sourcing team internally, which is pretty odd for dealerships. We, you know, unless you're one of the, one of the five largest groups in the country, that's when we see typically five to seven people that manage expenses full time. They can justify because they're big enough. They're, you know, two to $4 billion companies. So they were thinking about bringing this on internally and, you know, what they said, what they came to the realization is this is going to take a few years to bring a team on, whether it's two to four, uh, two to four, you know, different departments that are coming together to, to manage expenses. They realize that it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of expertise to really get this up and running. So we, you know, how we compare ourselves to our clients doing this, like, for instance, we may look at credit card processing fees you know, 150 times a year, where our clients may be looking at that once every three to four years, depending on how long their contracts are set for. So that's really how we compare and say, Absolutely. hey, this is not something you've been doing wrong. Like you mentioned, Alex, it's not it, it, It's not that you've been doing this incorrectly. It's just you, you haven't had the team, you don't have the labor hours each month to really stay on top of expenses. So that's really what we zero in on a lot of cases is benchmarking and collecting pricing uh, that our clients would be in charge across the country and understanding what's competitive, what's not, and what's the what's the room for improvement. So those benchmarks are just crucial to understanding, um, you know, if if our if our clients' pricing is is competitive today, or if there's a lot of room for improvement. But it really comes down to those invoices and uh, and usage reports. Absolutely. I mean, we got you, you've got to get their attention where it need. You've got to get them to take a second to sit still and open up their ability to look at this the objective way and get their attention in this area because there's being pulled in seven different directions. And, and our biggest key is, you know, how we can use our data and use our tool to optimize that time to give them more time back in the day. It's the one thing they're running out of, you know, one, one of the yeah. funny things I told to a dealer 
today or, or the other day when I was on a meeting and the general manager, the dealer owner was on the, on the call. We were talking about exception reports. We we're talking about how these people don't follow pricing and how just giving away a dollar could, could amount up at the end of the day. And I said, why do you allow your team to discount? He's like, well, you know, we got to sell the work. Got to sell the work. We got to sell the job. I said, I'll tell you what. So we got the owner on the call right now. Do me a favor, take your checkbook, Mr. Owner, and give a copy of it to every single one of the advisors and say, just discount how you normally discount, but do it out of my checkbook. How many discounts mm. do you think we right at the end of the day? And got real quiet there for a minute, but, but it started to sink in. And he said, oh, okay, I, I, I kind of see where you're getting at, but at the same time, you know, am I supposed to turn this away? I was like, no, we need to do it. We need to do it more strategically. We need to think about how we're doing this and not just throw it money at the, at the issue here. So, I mean, kind of wrapping things up, uh, uh, you know, and I've, uh, this has been a, a real, I really enjoyed this podcast as far as the conversation. I really appreciate you, your time and coming on. But as, as we wrap this up and as me and you know, it's, it's getting to that time of the year. It's getting to that point where they really start to look at their expenses. They really start to crunch down the numbers. What do you think is, is the biggest thing as far as, as people roll into this, the, the biggest misstep that, that they need to watch out for, but the, I'd say the first place they could start. Yeah, I would say one of the one of the first pieces we start off with as a company that really helps, I guess, put a work plan in place, a formal, strategic, well thought out work plan is really get a, a grip on your contracts. And what I mean by that is managing your contracts in a central location. So, you know, whether you're a single point dealership or if you have multiple rooftops, where do we stand with each of our vendors today? You know, what are those expiration dates? When can we start negotiating or renegotiating with each of these vendors? We typically manage, uh, you know, of course, when it was signed, when it expires, does it auto renew? What's the termination notice? You, you know, usually that's 30, 60, 90 days. But getting all of those agreements centrally located, if you can get them electronically tracked, that's ideal. I know there's more and more software out there. That's something we we manage for our clients. But that really gives you clarity, especially for dealerships that have multiple rooftops where they may have four to five different uniform agreements in place with expiration dates all over the place. So I would say for any groups, any dealerships or any businesses out there that are looking to centralize, those contracts are a great first start. Whether you get them in a, in a filing cabinet, um, you know, sorted alphabetically the old school <laughs> route, or if you're using an electronic system, uh, but that's a great way because it's, um, we just see a lot of waste, you know, a lot of wasted opportunity by letting those contracts auto renew at a higher rate, because right now I'm sure you guys are seeing it as well. Yeah. Suppliers are increasing pricing. You hear a price creep in the industry quite a bit. That's happening a lot. And without knowing where you stand with each of the, the suppliers you're working with, they're free to do whatever they want with that pricing. And if they know your, your team isn't shopping rates or it doesn't have a formal process for reviewing those rates and renegotiating. Well, that's where a lot of that wasted money is going. And I, I really like that, that checkbook analogy you gave. That's a great way to look at it because if you are, you know, it's, you're thinking of it kind of as a business strategy, right? But it really is money that's flying out the door yep. out of their checkbook as it relates to that, uh, that discount that you had mentioned. So it's, but uh, yeah, does that answer your question? It's kind of a. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I, I mean, that's where you're, I think the the follow-up to that is, is what do people normally what is normally the pitfall that they that they get into? Like I, I see a lot of people, that are neat, new GMs when they come in. When new general managers come in, they're looking at expenses. They just start cutting. They start cutting. You know, we, yeah. we're gonna, we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. 
and I and 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 I'm kind of getting your thoughts, or I'm trying to, I guess I'm kind of, you know, mining your thought on this is is how do you get them like this? It's that quick knee jerk reaction where they go in and they just start cutting and things of that nature without really assessing it. So, I mean, one of the things was was you know you got to take a minute, you got to look at your contracts, but also I think you know what do you what do you recommend? as far as taking that knee jerk reaction and just saying, well, that's just the expense. I really don't know what it is. I really might be interested in knowing what it is, is what we, what we normally get with. And Mm -hmm. then they just, they just cut that, they cut it out. So would you say that, how would you kind of stay away from that, that knee jerk pitfall of just cut, cut, cut? Yeah. Good point. We, one of the, so I mentioned the contract piece. Another piece that we, when we kick off with the client is we, we do perform what we call a spend analysis. And most dealerships, you know, have, you know, some kind of DMS system, right? CDK, Reynolds, Dealer Track, Automate. Yeah. The list goes on and on. We're starting to see Techion and PBS and a few up and comers uh, that are coming into the space now. But that's typically where all the vendors are stored for our clients, uh, at least in the auto space. So your on-demand checks, your accounts payables, your ACH. And we're seeing more and more dealerships using credit cards to pay vendors as well. It's an automated way to pay vendors to get cash back and points or mm-hmm. whatever benefit you're trying to receive. But that's a great way, you know, like you're talking about, where do we cut and how? Well, if you can get all those vendors extracted from your system and start classifying each of those vendors into the spend buckets, it's a pretty timely process, but it's well worth it in the end to know how many vendors you have. Because, you know, without cutting, you know, if you're just cutting vendors to cut vendors without having a strategy in place, well, you could be, really given up some relationships that you've become to rely on pretty, you know, pretty easily over the, over the years that you've been in business. So we want to make sure going back to that. Uh, yeah. We hear it all the time. Yeah. That, that shop supply example, you know, of, of 19 suppliers. Yeah. It was a single point using 19 brought them down to one, but that's an example of cutting strategically versus cutting to cut. So, you know, cutting out 18 mm-hmm. suppliers that were redundant, they were all providing, they all could provide the same products but we want to get you know competitive price for one and make sure the service levels are there, that the products can get there in a timely fashion, that they have a good name in the community as well. But that's how we recommend to cut is really narrowing down your top suppliers in each expense category. Maybe you look at it, your top three to four, where do we spend the most in office supplies? Where do we spend the most in, in credit bureaus, in small package transportation, your FedEx and UPS type of vendors? But comparing those top vendors yeah. and then narrowing that down to a primary supplier that you always go to, and then and then you have a backup in case they can't meet your needs in a timely fashion. That's how we recommend cutting your supplier base down, primary and secondary. Where that where the challenges are, it really are, are dealerships that have uh, locations in, in different states. So you may need to have more than a primary, right? You yeah. may need to have a supplier base of three to four or depending on how many states you're in, if you need some local suppliers, well, that supplier base could grow quite a bit. But um, but that's what we recommend is really getting that information out of the DMS. Here is all our vendors, put them into those it's expense buckets so you know what we've spent annually in each of those areas. And then how many suppliers do we have? And then you can start dwindling that list down. We call it spend descending. So you can see at the top, here's who we spend the most with at our dealership in the last year to the least. And prioritizing expenses that way, that's a yep. great way to start cutting and and really attacking significant areas of spend versus going after something like first aid, right? That's not a 
a big area of impact that's going to make mm -hmm. a big splash. We want to go after where are we spending the most, also factoring in what are those expiration dates that we were talking about with the contract tracker. So you got to got to know those expiration dates, but that's really how we had start attacking and prioritizing expenses. You know, because most dealerships have 100 to 130 areas. That's a lot of areas to manage, but that's how you can start hacking away from top to bottom and really going through this strategically with a with a good plan. That's fantastic. Well, Chris, I want to thank you again. This is uh going to con conclude another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Uh, like I said, I got Chris Austin with Strategic Source with me today. And Chris, what I always like to do as I start to wrap this up, is there any final thoughts, uh, any 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 final things that you would like to, to throw out there to, to our listeners? Yeah, I, Alex, I appreciate you inviting me on today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And, you know, Dynatron's been a great partner. Doug and I uh, were at your offices uh, I want to say five, six months ago. So we actually got to see your process uh, for a couple of days, see your clients coming in and just walking through your journey. So really a great learning experience for us. You guys have been a great partner. We're proud to be associated with you. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what the, the future holds. We're planning on uh, NADA coming up at the end of uh, uh, January. Are you going to be there in Vegas? Uh, I we're, we're figuring that, that part out. I don't, I can't confirm nor deny if I'm going to be at NADA just yet. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we're putting a pin in that one. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a exciting time for dealers. We're in the planning uh, stages for, for that show, but uh, no, it's been a, uh, been a great time uh, to be in the dealership space. We know that, you know, dealers have seen some great times the last two to three years and and uh, preparing for some challenging times ahead, but it's a, a great space to be in. Enjoy working in the uh, in the auto space, and really enjoy our partnership with Dynatron. You guys are great, and uh, proud to be associated with you guys. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much. Proud to be associated with you guys too, and hope to have you back on the podcast uh, here soon. Right? Absolutely. We'd love to come back anytime. All right. Thank you. So this will conclude this episode, Chris. I want to thank you again, brother. Thank you for joining another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Always be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to be notified when new episodes are being dropped. And click the link below to review any of the show notes for additional information. Or you can email the Fuel Podcast with the link as we encourage any feedback or any questions or comments from our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Keyes, with the Fuel Podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership.